That's so cute. Well, happy Father's Day uh, to the dads in the room and those listening online. Happy Father's Day. I am so grateful for my father and the role that he's played in my life and given me a godly example of what it means to be a man. It means to be a husband and a father. And I'm so grateful to be a father to two of the kids that were in that video, to Elijah and to Gigi. And uh, dads, I just want you to hear from us. We love you and we are proud of you and we need you and your family needs you to be all who God created you to be. And so thank you for joining us today on this Father's Day. Uh, We are in the middle of a series, a teaching series, where we're looking at uh, the relationships between fathers and sons and and generations and generations. We're specifically looking at one family, a central family in the story of God found in the kind of the beginning part of the Old Testament. That's the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, we're looking at how they not only interacted with each other, but more specifically, how they related to and interacted with their father, God, and what that story generations ago can teach us in our lives today. So I'm excited that you've joined us uh, for that, specifically as we look this week at how we wrestle with God when it comes to how we pray and then how we live out of the prayers that we pray. Uh, One of the things that, that I've noticed as a dad now for the last seven and a half years or so, is uh, there are t- lots of different tools that I use around the house. Uh, some are husband tools and some are dad tools. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, husband tools tend to be big, heavy, sharp things. This is a giant paintbrush, not very sharp, but this uh, was one of the first tools I had to learn how to use as a husband because my wife would come to me with lists of lists of things to do around the house and things that needed fixing, things that needed repairing, things that need to be painted, things that need to be changed, things that need to be upgraded. And so I had to learn and kind of get the tools for the job. And part of the pride early on as a husband was acquiring my tool set and kind of getting that all set up. And her dad gave me some of his tools. It was like this rite of passage. Very, very cool. But very, very different tools that I use for my husband tools than I do for my daddy tools. These are the kind of tools that I use for daddy tools. This is a very tiny little paintbrush, very different from this paintbrush. When Gigi asks me, as she does on a daily basis, to come and color her My Little Pony coloring page with her, if I show up with this tool, I will ruin her page, her coloring book, and potentially her childhood. So I use smaller tools for my daddy tools, lots of little you know, scissors that you can't hurt yourself with and little tiny paintbrushes and very, very, very different tools that I use for that. In fact, uh, I want to show you the different tools that I had to use for a diorama that I had to build for Elijah's first grade class this last year. I think we have a picture. Uh, This is a diorama that he was supposed to build. (laughs) And it ended up being all about G.I. Joe's and we just happened to have some around. And so daddy went a little nuts using uh, different tools to build and spend way too much time building a diorama for him. And so uh, different tools, uh, uh, specifically, those of you who are dads know this, the things that you do around the house for your wife, very different from what you do around the house with your kids. And I think that same principle applies to, to every one of us, whether you're a dad or not a dad, when it comes to how we approach God in prayer. I think the truth of many of us, at least what I've seen and experienced, is that many of us come to God with these kind of big, broad tools when we pray. When it comes to how you talk to God, most people tend to talk to God with big, broad stroke prayers. God, will you bless my family? God, will you give me a good day at work today? 
God, will you help this person who's kind of in a tough spot? God, will you help me be a, a better dad? And, and we come to our prayer and the way that we talk to God, we kind of broad strokes. And here's the thing. I believe that God hears those prayers and more importantly, knows the desire of our heart. And so he can speak into those things in our lives. But I believe, as we're going to see from the passage that we're going to look at today, that God is actually inviting you and me to these kind of prayers, very specific prayers for the very specific details of our lives, that God is inviting you to literally bring to him the fine points of your life and to invite him into those. Now, here's the deal. You are already good at being this specific. You are very, very, very good at being this specific. Let me show you what I mean. When you walk into a restaurant and they give you a seat and the waiter or the waitress, the server comes to ask you what you want, typically your response isn't a broad stroke response. That would not be helpful. Imagine how well that would go. What would you like for dinner tonight? Um, food. <laughs> Just something, food. And what's the next question they're going to ask you? Can you be more specific? Warm food or, or something in the hot category of food? Not helpful, right? When you go into J. Crew or Anthropology or Target or wherever you shop, and you walk in and someone says, can I help you find something? Most likely your answer isn't, I'm looking for something in like clothes. <laughs> can you be more specific? Something for the top half. Not very helpful, okay? Not very helpful. You already know how to be incredibly specific. Any dad who's bought a TV recently, you've probably read more reviews of that TV than you have the Bible that week because you know specifically you cannot walk into one of those big box stores and just say, can I have a TV? Because they will sell you the most expensive TV that they have in that place. You know how to be incredibly specific with most things in your life. And so why is it then when we come to God, we tend to talk to him in the most broad stroke prayers. I think what God's inviting us into is to be incredibly specific with how we pray because he already specifically knows every aspect and ounce of your life. And we're going to see, I think, a really practical way that we can begin to do that starting this week. And it comes to us from a very interesting, seemingly obscure little story in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's turn there now. Let's open up and see what God has for us this morning. You can turn in your Bible, if you brought one with you, to Genesis 24. Now, here's the great thing. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. We've got Bibles for you in the seat back. You can grab a Bible. And I would ask you, would you do that? Would you grab one? So we're all kind of playing out of the same playbook. Genesis 24. In the blue Bible, it's all the way to the left. It's page 15. So we're going all the way left, page 15. And we say this every week, but I want to make sure you hear this. If you're serious about exploring who God is, you want to know who this God is, but you do not own a Bible. There's just not one in your life, not one in your house, not one anywhere. Here's the deal. You get to take this Bible home with you today. We believe so much in what God has to say to you through this book that we want you to have it. So here's the deal. If you do not own a Bible, steal a Bible from church today. Some of the best things you can do. Now, here's a word on that. These are not for Father's Day gifts. Let me just, if you steal a Bible for your dad on Father's Day, God frowns on that, okay? So don't do that, all right? So here's the deal. Genesis 24, starting at page 15. Let me give you a little context, and then we're going to get into this very interesting story that God might use today, and I believe he's going to use today to help you pray more specifically and live more intentionally. Context. We started the series two weeks ago by looking at, at a character named Abraham. 
And God gave Abraham a very big promise for his life that started with a son. Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as great as the stars in the sky. A nation is going to come from you, Abraham, but it's going to start with the sun. And that was a very big promise from God because there was one very real obstacle. Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old, well past the point of having kids. And after God gives them this promise, it's still another 25 years or so until he actually makes good on the promise that he gave to Abraham and Sarah, working things out in his own time. And so Abraham and Sarah have this son named Isaac. Last week, Jeannie did a masterful job. If you missed it, please go listen to the podcast of walking through a very complex text where God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, ultimately, all along, God had another plan in mind. And what God was giving us is a picture of what Jesus Christ would do for us one day to be our sacrifice for our sin. But in that moment, what he was also doing was working on Abraham's faith and trust and making sure that Abraham's faith and hope wasn't wrapped up in his son, Isaac, but in the God who gave him the son, Isaac. So this week now, it's years later, Abraham has become incredibly wealthy and successful in the land that God had led him to, in this new land that God had promised would be their land, very wealthy and successful, although the love of his life, Sarah, has died. And their son Isaac now is much older, and he isn't married yet, and he wants a wife. He's deeply missing his mother. He loved his mother. He's missing her. And so he's kind of all alone and has this desire in his heart. And so Abraham actually decides to to do something about it. In this culture, in this context, not at all foreign or weird for what Abraham's about to do. A little for our culture. So you'll have to kind of to, to sift through that. But Abraham says, I'm going to help Isaac find a wife. And so Abraham calls his most trusted servant and says, listen, I, I want you to do this for me. I want you to go and find a wife for me. And he gives him very specific instructions. Basically, I want you to go back to the land we're from, because this is kind of a foreign land that we're living in. Go back to the land we're from, but don't take Isaac with you. Because if you do, my fear is in his mourning, he's going to want to stay in the old familiar place. And all of us have had those in our lives, haven't we? We hit a a roadblock, we hit a wall, and we just want to go back to the thing that worked for us before. But God knows, and Abraham knows, that there is something new that God is doing. And so he's giving these very specific instructions to his servant. Let's pick up in Genesis 24, verse 3. Abraham speaking to his servant, just so we get a little picture here. He says to him, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. That's the land that they were currently living in, among whom I am living, in case you missed that part. (laughs) But he says, go to my country, to my own relatives, my own tribe, and get a wife for my son, Isaac there. Now, Abraham is very specific. Here's what I want you to do. Don't get a wife from here. Go back to our old tribe. Take the journey, the far journey back to our old land, but don't take Isaac with you. You need to go by yourself so you can go back and do this. And it seems a little bit like Abraham's a little bit kind of meddling in Isaac's business. I mean, how many of you would have liked your dad to pick your spouse out for you, right? It seems like Abraham's like two tiaras away from being a stage dad and having a show on TLC. Like, I I know, just take it even out of the dad-son thing. Imagine you say to one of your friends one night, hey, listen, dude, I need you to do me a solid. Yeah, what's that? Go get me a wife. Okay, I don't know that that's the best strategy for you, right? It can seem a little foreign. It was not foreign in this concept. Parents had a huge role in their children's lives in that day. And so this was not foreign at all for Abraham to be involved in helping Isaac find a wife. But he was very specific. Can you imagine how daunting that task would be for this servant? 
Basically, Abraham says, go on a long journey, a far journey, back to our old land and get me, you know, get for our, my son a woman who will carry on the promise of God for generations and generations to come, ultimately one day leading to the Savior of the world. Got that? Very daunting task, but the servant's up to it. And so he goes and makes this far journey back home. And he does something very interesting. This is not a time for vague, sort of broad stroke kind of prayers. God, help me find someone. This is a time to be incredibly specific. And as we're going to see here, incredibly intentional. He gets to the town. Let's jump down to verse 11. So he, the servant, this is the servant, gets into the town where Abraham's from. And he had the camels that he brought with him kneel down near the outside of the town It was right around evening, right towards evening time. This was the time when the women go out to draw water. And that's kind of how it worked in that culture and so in that day. And so he knew that this is where the well is in this town. This is where they're going to come from water. And this is where the women will come. The daughters will come to get water for their family. Now look what he does in verse 12. He has intentionally, strategically put himself deliberately in that place. And then he says this, verse 12. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham... Make me successful today. Grant me success today. Make me successful and show kindness to my master Abraham. I love what he does here in verse 13. He's filling God in on things that God already knows. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. And God's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, got that. Verse 14, this is where it gets interesting. May it be that when I say to a young woman, Please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you've chosen for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, at first pass, that can seem like an interesting way of praying. Is this servant sort of giving God hoops to jump through? God, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And if you do all those things, then I'll know. We've prayed those kind of prayers. You've probably prayed those kind of prayers. God, if I am not going to be late to work, you need to clear the Kennedy, Lord. Literally clear it. The blue line has to be on time today. Like, we've prayed those kind of prayers. This is not one of those kind of prayers, like a Hail Mary, like, God, you got to do this. I don't know what to do. This is a very intentional, specific prayer. Why? Because he's praying for the character of the woman that will one day be Isaac's wife. Here's why. It was a cultural norm in that day. If someone were to come, especially someone who had ties to your village, your family, your people, into town, it was customary to offer them water. They've had a long journey, so you'd offer them a drink. That was the cultural norm. What was well beyond the cultural norm was to say, not only am I going to supply your clear needs, your thirsty, I'm going to supply your unnamed needs by watering your camels. I know it can seem a little funny, but it was a very clear test, a litmus test for the character of the women that he was going to to see at this well, interact with at this well. And it was not an easy task. This would take significant time for her to water each of the camels until they were full and kind of had their full drink. What he's doing here is not just making hoops for God to jump through. He is being incredibly intentional because he's positioned himself in the place where these women are going to come. 
And he's prayed a very specific prayer. God, I am looking for this kind of character, this type of woman. And so I'll know, God, when I see sort of this character shown to me. He's not just lobbing up a prayer. He's being incredibly specific and incredibly intentional. And it's if as though he is literally living in the direction of the prayer he's praying. Living in the direction of the prayer he's praying. What would it look like for you to live in the direction of the prayers that you pray? To position yourself in a place to say, okay, God, I have done all that I can do. Now do what only you can do. I'm going to live in the direction of my prayer. I think, think, think about how often we don't do that. Just think for a second of how often we just kind of throw out these prayers to God and hope that he does something. God, I am praying that you will provide me with a great and godly spouse, someone who will be a fantastic mother or father to our future children one day. And until you do, God, I'm going to keep hanging out in these bars looking for them. Okay. God, I want to I see you move in my finances. God, will you provide for me financially? Will you bless me financially? And as you do or until you do, I'm not going to make any changes to my finances, my spending patterns. I'm going to ignore this mountain of debt, but go ahead, God, move. <laughs> I'm waiting. It sounds kind of silly when we say it out loud. Many of us have prayed for, those of us who are married, have prayed for your marriage. God, I want a better marriage. I want to have a God-honoring marriage. So will you change my spouse? (laughs) Help them to see how messed up they are. (laughs) Fix them, God. I've tried. (laughs) How many of us dads have had a desire, maybe even prayed to become a better dad? Imagine how silly it sounds when you say it out loud. God, will you make me a better father? I want to be a better father, the kind of father I had or the kind of dad I didn't have. I want to be that kind of father. So as soon as I get home from working way too much and as soon as I'm through Sports Center, and as soon as I get back from my monthly men's golf outing and as soon as I'm done tweeting this prayer, God, make me a great dad. <laughs> See, we pray lots of times in one direction but live in another. God, will you do this for me? I'm not going to have any part in this, but will you do this for me? Now listen, God is a God of miracles. I've seen that. I can tell you story after story in my life. Maybe you've experienced those, or at very least you've seen secondhand other people experience miracles in their life. God is a miracle-working God who can do anything for you. But do you know what God desires? He wants to do those things with you in you, through you. He can do them for you, but he longs to do them with you. And so you and I have a choice. Are we going to live in the direction that we are praying? Are we going to do what only we can do so that we can see God do what only he can do? Listen, that same prayer, you want to be a great dad, so do I. So do I. It's a regular prayer I pray. God, I want to be a great father. So God, as you grow that in my heart, I want to make, and I'm going to make the choices and sacrifices that only I can do to be more present with my wife, to be more present with my kids. I'm going to do what I can do so that God, you can grow in me what only you can do. You want to 
see God bless your finances, and I've seen God bless our finances and friends' finances. Listen, if you want to see God bless your finances, and God's inviting you to partner with him and to live in the direction that you are praying and to make tough choices and to live on a budget and to give back to God joyfully and generously and to say no to things and to loosen the grip of your stuff. As you do, you find yourself living in the direction that you're praying, and you begin to recognize more readily the blessings in your life. You want to see a great marriage? You want to pray for a great marriage? God, will you bless our marriage? Will you help our marriage? We've hit a tough spot where we've hit a wall, God, or we've hit this same wall again. And you know you can't fix your spouse. You can't control them. You don't ultimately even want to. But God, as I pray for our marriage, I'm going to do the work that only I can do. I'm going to be the first to forgive. I'm going to be the first to own. I'm going to be the first to serve. And as I do, I'm going to make intentional choices to live in the direction that I'm praying. That's what the servant did. That's the choice. He positioned himself in a place and then prayed a very specific prayer. And there are times in our lives where we do that and we pray and for really honestly reasons known only to God, for a desire that God has within him that he knows you better than you know yourself. There are times where God allows you to continue to pray those things, not because he's a mean or vindictive God, because he wants to grow something deeper in you. And so my hunch is even as I said those words, you said, I've prayed that prayer before. I tried that for a couple weeks. I tried that for a couple months. I've tried that for a couple years and God hasn't moved like I thought he would. My hunch is what God is doing is moving, just not as you thought or you expected. And he's growing something or longs to grow something, again, in you and with you and through you, not just doing it for you so that you are more complete when it comes. There are times when our prayers go that route. And then there are times in our prayers where God utterly, ultimately surprises us, which is what happens here, let's move on to Genesis 24, verse 15. Look at this. This is very interesting. So here he is. He has intentionally placed himself in this place. He's praying a very specific prayer about the character of this woman. And before he had even finished praying, he hadn't even gotten to amen yet. Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. Verse 19. Jump down to verse 19. After she'd given him a drink, she said, now listen, she said, if I were that guy, I'd want to give her as many clues as possible. I'd want to like elbow the camels, be like, yeah, how about these camels? I would, I would want to sort of take the wheel. He says nothing. He trusts God. Watch what Rebecca does. She says, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. Verse 20, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well and drew more water. And listen to this, and drew enough for all his camels. This is multiple trips back and forth. This is taking time. And can you imagine how the heart of the servant began to jump within him? God, could it be that before I even finished praying this specific prayer, you were already always at work? And so he goes and he gets to know her family, kind of tells her, okay, here's what's going on. Here's who my master is, is Abraham. His son, Isaac, very handsome. He's who I'm here for. Can I meet your family? He goes and meets her family, come to find out they actually are related to Abraham from his tribe, from his people. This is another confirmation of the oath that he'd made to Abraham months before he left for this journey. 
After talking with her family for a little while, we meet her uncle Laban, who you're going to come back to in two weeks in our series. You're going to see how that character plays a role in Rebecca's son's life. But uncle Laban is there. Her family is there. And the servant has to obviously convince them to let her go. I mean, that would be a little weird to just throw on some camels and go. And, And so they talk and they see the bigger story of what God had done. And they bless what is happening, what God is doing. They literally say, this is clearly from God. This is an only God thing. And so she gets on camels that she doesn't know with a guy that she doesn't know to go meet her husband that she doesn't know. For those of you who have done online dating, this is where it started. (laughs) It's in the Bible. This is the original match.com. She hadn't even finished her profile yet. It works. Now, I want to show you what happens after the journey back. This is, I want to read to you just the end of the story and then share with you some closing thoughts, application for our lives. I want you to see how great of a love story God writes, how great of a story he wants to write for your life. Genesis 24, verse 62, moving ahead. Isaac is on the scene now, 24, verse 62. And he had come from uh, Bir Lahai Roy, which is a, an area in the Negev, which we're not going to pull up the maps or anything, but it's, it's at a distance. He's at a distance from Abraham. He is literally from where he's located. This, the Bible gives us a very specific location. He's isolated himself. He's in deep grieving over the loss of his mother. Maybe you've lost someone and you know what that feels like. Maybe you've lost a parent. Maybe you've lost a spouse or a friend. You know that it feels like you just want to shut the world out, disappear for a while. That's exactly what he was doing. But he goes out one night to the field to meditate, to pray. And he looks up and he sees camels approaching. Now he knew about the mission that this servant was on, but he'd kind of closed all that off and potentially even forgotten about it. And he sees the camels coming. Now look at this in verse 64. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. And she got down off her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself, preparing herself for marriage. Verse 66, then the servant told Isaac all he had done and all ultimately that God had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. And so she became his wife. And he loves her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You see how good God is. It may not come in your time or by your terms, but God is always at work. He knows the specific needs of your life. And so why wouldn't you bring those to him? I think in this seemingly obscure story in the Bible, this is what I love, we're studying the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's actually very little in the Bible about the life of Isaac. We have the experience that we looked at last week. We have the end of his life that we're going to look at next week. 
this is almost this tangential story, not even about Isaac, about a servant who goes to find him a wife. And yet what we see through all sort of the cultural context and complexities, we see, I believe, a practical principle that every one of us can put into our lives this week when it comes to our relationship with God and how we live our lives out with him in this world. And I wrote it down because I think it's important for me to hear and maybe you want to write it down so you can remember it after we're done here this morning. But it's simply this. When it comes to how we engage with God from what we see from this text, two ideas. First, pray specifically. Pray specifically. Remember how the servant did that? It needs to be like this. She needs to do this. She needs to do this. Abraham gave very specific instructions. His prayer was very specific for his son. What would it look like for you to pray specifically and to live intentionally, both at work at the same time? Pray specifically, God, I'm going to name these specific things. I have these desires. I have these needs. There are these broken places in my life. Instead of just sort of broad stroking over them, I'm going to, with a fine tooth comb, with a tiny little artist brush, I am going to name each and every one of these details of my life specifically. And then, God, I'm going to live my life intentionally in the direction of my prayers. I'm not just going to lob prayers off to you and hope that you do what only you can do and I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. I am going to pray specifically and live intentionally. What does that look like for you this week? One of the things I love that that Gene and I are privileged to, to hear and to share and to know are the stories of folks in our church who, who we get to see the stories of, of what God's doing when people partner with him with the very details of their lives, the desires of their lives. Just recently talking to a couple who had a desire, a prayer for a long time. Their sort of broad stroke prayer was, God, will you make us more generous? We, we want to be more generous. I, like by show of hands, doesn't everyone want that? Like we all would like to be more generous, Right. So that was their prayer. God, would you make us more? We want to be a generous family. We want to be generous people. We want to be generous to our community, generous in our church. And this is a prayer that they've prayed faithfully for a while now. It wasn't until recently they said, hey, you know what? There's something we can intentionally do to live our lives in the direction of our prayer. And so they downsized their life. They're telling me about it just the other day. Moved into a smaller place. Got rid of a bunch of stuff that they didn't really need that was costing them a ton of money. Freed themselves up from that. Said, God, We are going to do what we can do so that you can do what only you can do through our lives, specifically through our resources. And the joy with which they were saying, we have seen God free up money every month that now we can invest in what he's doing. You see that beautiful partnership? We're going to pray more specifically, God, what would you have us do with our finances? And we're going to live more intentionally. Here's what we're going to do. I know a couple in our church that are engaged. We'll be married later on this summer. And they made a decision early on in their relationship, the very beginning of their relationship, that they would pursue purity in their relationship at all costs. They know that purity pleases the heart of God, and Jesus promised that those who are pure in heart will see God, will know God more intimately. And and so they made a commitment. We're going to do this. God, will you help us remain pure? Now, it's one thing to pray that prayer while you're making out with each other. Very, you can do that. That is one way of praying. But they (laughs) said, God, what can we do? And so they laid out some very clear boundaries for their relationship. 
hey, we're not going to be alone with each other in our houses if there's not roommates there. After this certain hour, we're going to make sure that if there's not a roommate in the house, we're not in the house. These are grown adults who said, we want to pray specifically for purity in our relationship. And we're going to live intentionally with the choices we make. And for some of you, you're in a relationship and you have that desire for purity. You're dating or maybe you're engaged. You have a desire for purity. My question to you is, how are you going to live more intentionally with it? What can you do today? You may have a past. You may have a story. You may say, man, we, we have blown it like as recently as yesterday. You can start today living in the direction of that prayer. Here's what we're going to do, God. We're going to set up these boundaries. We're going to create a culture, God, in our relationship that pursues this first. There's a person in our church who moved here recently to the city from another state, actually, and didn't know anyone in Chicago. Anyone. I was just talking to them a couple weeks ago. And, you know, that can be really exciting to move to a new city for like the first week or two. And then when it's Friday night and you're in an apartment by yourself watching House Hunters International, you're just going, this is not what was on the brochure. And then you're surrounded by 2.9 million people every day in the city and all you really want is just one good friend. You ever felt that? Well, that was a prayer for this person specifically as she was sharing with me that I'm praying, I want God to form good relationships in my life. And so she actually lived into the direction of that prayer and said, you know what? I can kind of keep feeling sorry for myself on Friday night or I can get involved and engaged here, specifically at Soul City Church. She got onto one of our serving and volunteering teams. And this is what I love. She's like, it was a double win. She goes, because I got to make a difference. I got to do something I was passionate about and make a difference here. And I got to meet people who cared about that as well. And what's amazing is as she's serving and volunteering, she's making friends. We call that a win-win. You see, she just made a decision. I'm going to live in the direction of this prayer. I'm going to do what I can do. And God, you do what only you can do. I got a buddy who's wrestled with addiction for years and years and years. And about a year ago said, enough. I keep praying for healing and I believe God can do that, but I'm not doing anything about it myself. And so he made intentional choices to literally cut things off at the pass, to cut off avenues that led to his addiction, relationships that led him down that addiction. He said, God, I am going to do what I can do to live in the direction of this prayer that you would free me from this addiction. And I'm going to do it again the next day. And I'm going to do it again the next day. And when I fail and fall, I'm going to get up by your grace and strength and do it again the next day. I'm not going to quit. This is what it looks like when we pray specifically and live intentionally. It's both. It's the kind of partnership that God is inviting you into, that God longs to have with you. So what I want to do is give us a moment to really reflect on what that looks like. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to have a moment of reflection where we have a chance to write out a very specific prayer to God or to make a very real commitment an intentional choice that we're going to make or choices that we're going to make this week to live in the direction of the prayers that we're praying. So when you came in, there was a card on your seat. Would you grab that now, please? Would everyone grab that and a pen? You're going to need both. You may actually be sitting on this, so you may want to pull that out. It's nice and warm by now. Grab a pen. We're going to put into practice the principle that we saw this servant live out in this story in Genesis 24. We're going to be specific and we're going to be intentional.
And so what I want to encourage you to think about is what is something that you maybe have been kind of broad stroke praying about in your life or you've had a desire for, but you've never really specifically named or you've never taken responsibility on your end for with God before. What would it look like for you to write that out as a prayer to God on this card? Maybe if, if you are single and, and, and you've gone to enough weddings and you're just like, okay, okay, okay. God, I long for a partner. It's not a wrong desire. It's a beautiful desire. I long for a partner to share my life with God. Have you ever taken the time to name specifically, God, like these are the characteristics that I want them to have. I'm going to be specific because if I don't know what to pray for, how will I ever know what to look for? So I'm going to be specific. God, I want them to have this kind of heart. I want them to value this. I am going to pray specifically. And even though, God, I may have prayed this or broad stroke prayer this prayer before, I am going to intentionally say, God, I am trusting that you have good things for my life. And so I'm going to keep on praying. And I'm going to make wise choices about where I spend my time. Listen, if that's you and you're praying this prayer and you're here at church today, you are ahead of the curve. You're in a great place to meet people who love God. And who knows what God might be up to? Who knows? For those of us who are married and you long for a great marriage, what would it look like for you to pray a very specific prayer of what that marriage looks like? Instead of just praying, God, will you help our marriage? God, will you bless our marriage? Specifically, God, we want our marriage to be this. I want our marriage to be like this. Or God, I am intentionally choosing this week that instead of blaming and shaming and pointing the finger, I am going to work on this. I'm going to forgive this. I'm going to own this. I'm going to serve this. And you intentionally say, here's what I'm going to do to live in the direction of that prayer. Families, parents, dads, moms. Do you have a prayer for your family? Do you have a prayer that you pray for your family? Maybe you've heard, I've shared before that for whatever reason, God put on our hearts when we brought our kids home from the hospital that we would pray a prayer over their life every day. As long as God allowed us to, as long as we remembered to, we would pray a prayer over their lives. And just about every night when we tuck our kids in from the time that they were wrapped in a little swaddling blanket to just last night, I pray, we pray over our son, Elijah, God, will you make this young man sensitive and strong? It's a prayer we prayed since the day we brought him home from the hospital. Will you make him sensitive? That means, God, that he is aware of and not embarrassed of his emotions, that he sees those as a gift from you, and he knows how to express those, God. And will you make him strong? Will you give him courage, God, to act on the convictions you give him? We've prayed that so much over Elijah that he can finish the prayer for us every night. And what we do to intentionally help him see that specific prayer is when we see him respond in a way where he expresses his emotions, his joy or his frustration with us in a really healthy way. We go, awesome, Elijah, way to go, buddy. Way to be sensitive to what God is doing in this moment. Or when we see him make a great choice, way to go, pal. What awesome choice. Way to have the courage to make that tough choice. We pray over our daughter, Gigi, every night. God, will you surround her with godly friends? Surround this young woman with godly friends. Now, we love our daughter to pieces, and she is a free spirit. And so it's going to take a village of godly friends (laughs) to surround her. 
And the second part of our prayer for her that we pray every night is, God, will you make her a godly friend, a light unto her world for you? She could say that prayer because we've prayed that we are living, we are helping her live into that direction. So when she makes great choices with her friends, we say, Gigi, way to go, way to be a godly friend, way to show God's love today to that friend. Families, parents, what are you praying for for your family, for your kids? How can you be more specific with those prayers and then make choices as parents to help your family live intentionally into that prayer? Maybe for you, you, you've got questions about God, doubts about God. You're not sure kind of where God's at. Maybe the only thing you need to write in this card is I'm here. I'm here. I'm open. I'm here. I want to at least put myself in the direction, God. If you are real and you're going to speak, I'm here. I'm open. So for the next few minutes, we want to give you the chance to write that prayer out, to write those intentional choices out to God. I'm going to stop talking. We're going to let God continue to speak. And then in a moment, I'll come up and pray and we'll continue worshiping together. But let's take the next few moments, every one of us, to write down a specific prayer to God or intentional choices we're going to make this week to live in the direction of our prayers. God, thank you that it's partnership with you that you've invited us into. Not jumping through hoops, not crossing lines. God, you have invited us to follow you and to be in relationship with you. And so God, we want to aim our lives. We want to intentionally direct our lives in the direction of the prayers and hopes and desires we have for our lives. Thank you, God, that you have done and are doing all that you are doing, all the things behind the scenes that we can't even see, God, that where you are at work, where you are writing a bigger story. And thank you, God, that you're inviting us to pick up the pen, the paintbrush with you and write a better story for our lives, for our families, for our marriages, for our future. And so, God, we respond to you because you've already initiated to us. You sent your son Jesus to us. He is the one who came for us on our behalf. He is the promise that you gave to Abraham thousands of years ago. He is the promise fulfilled, and he's here today, available to every one of us. And so, Jesus, it's you that we respond to as we give and as we sing. It's in your name by your power and through your love. Amen.